<laughs> so I'm drinking a Slurpee. What? That's a weird way to start a podcast. Why? It's it's Fat Tuesday. <laughs> oh, right. It is. Yes. It's Fat Tuesday today. I was driving back uh, to, from Victoria, went to Victoria for my day of rest. Mm-hmm. And on, when I got into town, I'm like, it's Fat Tuesday. I'm getting a Slurpee. That's amazing. I have... I'm all about indulging on Fat Tuesday or Shrove Tuesday or Pancake Tuesday mm-hmm. or Tuesday in the eighth Sunday of ordinary or eighth week of ordinary time. Uh-huh. I'm all about that, but a Slurpee just doesn't do it for me. No interest. Well, the, here's the reason why American mm-hmm. circus, American Slurpees suck. Why? How? How do you even? Why would you make this a thing? Uh, because how are they different? How are they different? American they different? Slur- American Slurpees are carbonated. Oh, so wait, what are you, describe the beverage you are drinking. It's a Coke Slurpee. It's ice with uh, Coke syrup in it mixed in together, but it's not carbonated. And so it has a- Wait, wait, that's a snow cone. No, that a snow cone would have a lot, would be more snow than, than syrup and it wouldn't be drinkable. This is drinkable. It's like a Frappuccino. It's like a, it's like a Coke Frappuccino. This is hurting my brain. I don't like this. So I'm drinking uh, that right now, and yeah. it's awesome because yeah, no, no, I I've lived in the states, I've been to the Seven Elevens in the states, and I refuse to touch their Slurpees. Wow, they this suck. is. I mean, I don't even like Slurpees to begin with, so I don't feel like arguing with you about this. <laughs> I just, I just don't care. It's just not. I do it partially because I'm one of the things I'm going to make sure I do is no like, uh, no buying drinks at like Seven Eleven or okay. Starbucks or anything during Lent. So that's one of my. One of my disciplines for Lent. What are you doing for Lent? So I am trying to pray all... I mean, of course, I always pray all of my hours from Liturgy of the Hours, Father Harrison. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to try to not do it on my phone anymore. Good. So I'm going to be like carrying around my breviary, using that to pray with. Mm-hmm. So hopefully actually just like more really praying the Liturgy of the Hours and less moving the Liturgy of the Hours through my brain and yeah. lips, you know, more make it more prayerfully. So yeah. doing that. Cool. And uh, I think I'm only going to tweet on Sundays. Hmm. Time yeah. for me to take over. Yes. Go for it. Yeah. See awesome. if you can get more followers than me. There's no chance. I will get, I, I bet you, I will get at least 300 more followers. Actually, hmm. I bet I get over 500 followers only tweeting on Sundays uh-huh. for Lent. Okay. Okay. You, you got what? Let's uh, see think... over under. Do you think over or under five hundred followers for me? Uh, I think it's doable. Um, I find that once you kind of get past a certain landmark of followers on Twitter, people will start following because you've passed that landmark. Right. No so. one actually interacts with my tweets anymore. It's still like the same, like five hundred people. Yeah. I, uh, I, uh, I, I, I'll talk about that a bit later. But I've also moved back to the bravery more. It's mm-hmm. really hard. Thing is, thing is, I I well, like the book in my hands. Yeah. I hate flipping pages. Like I no. hate flipping the four different pages in the breviary. I don't mind do, that. Do people know what the breviary is? Do they know what we're talking about? It's the liturgy of the hours. It's, we pray the psalms for, at different points of the day during, uh, in the church. It's one of the things we've promised to in our priesthood. Exactly. And we've got a big old four-volume four set of this. Yep. And like different feast days required to flip different parts of the breviary. Yep. And so on and so on. And I just don't like ribbons or flipping pages. It just see, bothers me. See, I don't mind that. For me, it's been, I I would just, oh, I'm out doing something. I got three minutes. I'll pray daytime prayer on my phone. Mm-hmm, right. Now it's like, like there have been days where I've prayed daytime prayer very late. not be, And because I forgot to bring my breviary with me and I didn't have the opportunity to pray until I got home. Mm-hmm, I did mm-hmm. down. I, I deleted I breviary from my phone. Yeah, but I did re-download it because I just I also remembered that I also use my breviary to do rituals in the hospital, oh. and I went to go anoint someone last week, and I'm like, oh, I and they didn't get anointed. I breviary, so didn't go I to had, heaven. No chance. So I had to re-download I breviary at the hospital so that I could actually anoint them with the proper prayers. Okay, so when you were going to re-download I breviary, were you like in the hospital room? No, I was walking. I always try to prep it as I'm walking into the hospital. Okay, okay. And so I was like, oh, I don't have it. So I'm like, all right, I got to go download it. And I did. And But it's only used right now for for anointings. Okay. And, you know, 
stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah I'm, yeah, I'm doing the no fancy drink thing. I'm doing a phone thing, and I'll talk about that more later. But I've already started that. Um, I am. It's not like a perfect discipline, but I'm going to work really hard to not go out for food. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. A tough thing with that is like, so basically. If people haven't like guessed already from my mildly evasive answers and vague generalities, I haven't actually planned out Lent at all, and it's Tuesday before Lent. Okay, right. This is the right day to figure these things out. Right, right, right. So I'll have my holy hour later today, and that's why I'll try to pin it down. And then hopefully, when I meet my spiritual director next week, he'll be like, "Oh yeah, that's good." Okay. Yeah. But for me, unless I say this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm not doing. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like if you try to say, oh, I'm going to try to kind of avoid this more often than not, you can kind of drive yourself crazy mm-hmm. and you end up giving up either everything or nothing. Yeah. And just kind of like for me, it's very dangerous because I'll become like scrupulous about it or just I'll just feel a vague sort of shame. Right. For my vague sort of promises I vaguely sort of made and just bleh. Right. So for most people, actually, I would strongly recommend like just pick like three concrete things. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I'm I'm I don't know, I'm just I'm trying to I find every year I try to go a bit harder. You I know? mean, hopefully you're getting holier. I hope so too. Right? So, so one of the other things I'm going to do, I've decided no Netflix or Amazon Prime during Lent. Mm-hmm. Because it's so easy to just kind of vaguely browse to find a show that you might be mildly interested in watching. Yes. So I've decided none of that for Lent. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also decided that outside of work or podcast stuff mm-hmm. or my like personal computer time is to be restricted to one hour. Oh my goodness. Per day. Per That's day. That's intense. Per day. But yeah. Um, well, because since I've reduced my phone usage, which again, so that's that's the big one that's already been started. Mm-hmm. Um, my screen time on my computer has obviously gone up. So I'm not giving up Twitter because I found that since deleting it from my phone, I've used it a lot less. Yeah, you've been barely obsessed. been on. Well, I've also been busy. You know, I'm oh, a pastor. Okay. I, I got pastor things to do. Uh yeah, I think I'm going to... Uh, one of the other things is just to try well, to make Harrison, sure... Did you give up introducing the podcast for Lent? Well, we haven't gotten to you yet. So just We haven't finished our opening segment yet. <laughs> then I am going to also try and read 20 pages a day. So I'm Father Harrison. Uh, I'm Father Anthony. And this is Clerically Speaking. Maybe we should give up arguing for Lent. Or would that make the podcast work? Should we give up taking pot shots at each other? It'd be, we'd be really, we would have a lot less listeners, I think. But I think it'd be super challenging <laughs> not to like just. Wait, no, no, no. Let's record six episodes today. So then we just, it's all over our system. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> we just go straight for six hours, get all the content out, and then just be done. That way Imagine. we can make the promise to not fight during Lent. But we wow. won't, you know. It would be an amazing project because one, we would, we would, we would run out of tweets to talk about. But also, like, what would our topics be for, like, the sixth episode? <laughs> we would become like all those other podcasts that just make stuff up as they go. You mean like the, crunch? Anything. like the crunch? What? Uh, oh, I, what? Uh, I didn't say uh, anything. Uh, 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 oh, I'm sorry. Uh, what? 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 Uh, oh. 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 <clears throat> you have anything to say outside of Lent stuff? What was I going to say? I was going to talk about something, wasn't I? I, I don't. You didn't actually tell me what you were going to talk Speaking about. Speaking of not planning. Oh, yikes. hey What a loser. I was going to talk about. Nope. Okay. Got nothing. That was good. Well, yesterday I was visiting my uh, my uh, two of my godchildren just moved back to Canada from the UK. Aw. And their mom was saying that uh, the his favorite thing to hear when she listens to the podcast is the bumper for the Summa Tweetologica. So here you are. Here we go. The Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We talk about a
was that was the most adorable segue you've ever made. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. There I you appreciate go. that. Got a little shout out. Beautiful. I appreciate that. So the Summa Tweetologica, it, it was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology and the Summa, sorry, the Summa Theologica. <laughs> Let me do this again. Yeah. Uh, the Summa Theologica. You see, I, wait, I just did the reverse. You know, you always go Summa, it's the Summa Theologica. And I just went the Summa Tweetologica. Can't you just admit you made a mistake without pointing out one of my mistakes, Father Harrison? No, I can't actually. It's not possible. <laughs> Okay, fine. <laughs> so the Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. So first up First, is, wait, wait. Before wait. we do the first one, I've, I've decided what I'm going to do for Lent. Oh, what? I'm just going to stop being mean to you, and whenever you're mean to me on the podcast, I'm just going to respond very kindly and see how long you can go without feeling guilty. That's not going to happen. You're not going to be. You're going to forget about that in two weeks. Ooh, let's find out. Because we're recording (laughs) two today. I can do at least for another two podcasts. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Pick a tweet. All right. So, J.D. Flynn, here's my idea. Before you can be admitted to the seminary, you have to have dinner with five families trusted by the bishop. If any of them would object to you marrying their daughter, you can't go into seminary. Now, before we even comment on this, people Mm -hmm. were giving J.D. a hard time about this tweet. Yes, they were. It was a little tongue-in-cheek. So, like chill people but he's trying to get to a point which is that if you're not suitable for marriage you're not suitable for priesthood right yeah so you gotta make a distinction here it's not like well i think it's it's a good and healthy thing for a guy to have um dated before going in seminary i don't think it's an absolute requirement right i think you can be a healthy well-formed human being without doing that yeah so it's it's not to say that and also people were taking this as like you have to yes okay so you don't want to take that idea too far but i think what JD is really getting at, the tweet behind the tweet, if you will, mm-hmm. is that we just want normal guys to enter seminary. Right. Not guys like us. Not guys, not, not weirdos. Not weirdos not, like us. Not Canadians, not American. No, um, but yeah, so the, and, uh, it's not a very precise theological way to put it, but yeah, just no more weirdos. One of the four pillars of seminary formation is human formation. Mm-hmm. And that's what JD is kind of getting at. Because to be a good husband, you have to have natural human qualities. Yeah. And if we don't have those capacities that would... He's not saying go to dinner and then be like, oh, go date their daughter. And then that is the test to go into seminary. That's not what he's yeah. saying. He's just saying like... That'd be super weird. <laughs> would they... If, 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 the, if they were to marry for you to get married to their daughter, would they be okay with it? That's more the question. Because if that's a yes, then that means you're suitable human material for the priesthood. Right. There's and, something like, and plus, okay, yeah. can you survive family dinners? Yeah. It's, I mean, with kids running around, to, throwing food mm-hmm. at the table. Mm-hmm. And, I'm not, I'm just, and I'm just talking about father Anthony, uh, right. you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, how do you handle that? How do you handle the noise? How do you handle the environment, the chaos and everything? Are you kind of at peace with it? Because that's normal, everyday married life. And mm-hmm. that's going to tell us something about how you would handle life as a priest. And there's something about that. Are you okay with messiness and chaos? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, Jesus Christ was. Mm-hmm. That's what he kind of just jumped right into when he became incarnate. Yep. And I was going to say something else about what you said. Oh, it's something that I think... Everyone here is in seminary. At least I hope mm-hmm. they do. Mm-hmm. Well, just the idea, if someone were to say to a person, it's really good you became a priest because I don't see any way you could possibly have gotten married, like that's weird. Yeah. Right? There is a weird There is a weird truth to the phrase, Father, what a waste. Go on. Because I hate that phrase. I hate that phrase too. Okay. But there's the weird truth of this man would have been a good husband. Uh, right. Okay. Sure. 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 And then that I hate that phrase for every. If you don't know why, we'll explain another day. But uh, <laughs> it's like, ha, 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 you wasted your life giving it entirely to God. Let's joke exactly. about it. I'm like, well, exactly. that I don't care for that. Okay. Yeah, no. That's enough of JD Flynn. He's got his own yeah, podcast. Okay, we don't need to give him any more press. Hey, let's talk about something uh, fun and controversial. Okay. Um, so this is from at National Post. Um, oh, yes. It's it's a story about how do you pronounce this guy's name? Um. Oh my gosh! Why am I forgetting his name? All of I a have sudden? to click on the story. 
Because, I know. Um, I, I, I forgot th- that thing. I suddenly, Tom Rosica, Father Tom Rosica. I had a sudden yes. like brain fart. I'm like, oh, wait, who is this guy again? <laughs> so this is a Jesuit priest. He no, worked- Brazilian priest. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> My prejudice against Jesuits just keeps And, and Canadian. Mm-hmm. 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 So what did he do, Father Harrison? He got in trouble. Well, for- you, you, you're, you, you do your thing first. You're introducing okay. the tweet. What's the tweet? What's the tweet? The tweet was just a story. So we're just going to talk about the story real quick. Sure. Uh, basically, this guy who his job is communications or something for... He, he has a position with the with uh, communications department in Rome. He also runs Salt and Light Television here in Canada. And the big thing is he's been copy and pasting, plagiarizing for yep. like 25 years. Yep. Like blatantly, super, unapologetically plagiarizing. Yep. It was, it's bad. He's since stepped down from all of his, like he's been on, he's on the board for a few universities. Mm -hmm. So he's since stepped down from those. Yeah. And uh, Father Raymond D'Souza, who's another Canadian priest who writes for the National Post, had a very good opinion piece on this as well, though, about how uh, he, perhaps it's possible that as he was getting more and more connections, etc., he was getting overwhelmed with requests, never really wanted to say no per se, per se mm-hmm. and so started to cut corners a little bit. And even when it, maybe it started even a bit with his academics, but then he just started cutting corners so much that it it just kind of got out of control and that hopefully he'll see this as a time to repent of, of that, that plagiarism and because he can be a positive, he can't. Father D'Souza says that he can be a positive voice for the uh, for the Catholic Church in Canada, and hopefully he can kind of rediscover that. But he'll probably have to take a little bit of a backseat on public appearances. Okay, for a while. okay. Like, w- but here's the thing, though, as far as like, I get being merciful and all that jazz. Yeah. But like, you get kicked out of universities if you plagiarize. I know it's the mortal sin of university. Right. And so, like, you're just done academically if mm-hmm. you plagiarize. Like, mm-hmm. that was drilled into my brain mm-hmm. for the eight years I went to higher education. Right. And also, like, I totally get needing to fill those pages. Yeah. But, bro, all you got to do is slap a footnote on there. Put a little number there. Boom. I did it with all my papers. It's yeah. just block quote after block quote after block quote. And it worked. Why couldn't you do that? There was, and I mean, there was some... The first apology he put out was, I am sorry this was discovered. <laughs> it was the weakest of sauces. Right, which is he, kind of akin to, I'm sorry. You're, the- right, it's kind of akin to, like, I'm sorry your feelings were hurt. Yes. Right, which is not really an apology. No, uh, and then I he think, blamed his interns. Right, which, yeah, that's not, there's no, there's no way, you'd have, the pattern, okay, if you're hiring the type of people who are always going to be plagiarizing, you're doing that for 25 years. Like something's got to break at one <laughs> it's point, right? It's still a problem. It's, it's still, still a bad. problem, right? Like you're either purposely looking for plagiarizers. Yeah. Or I mean, the other thing is, is that it's absurd that for 25 years, all your interns would plagiarize. Mm-hmm. Right. That the pattern of behavior would be the same from one person to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, now, Father Rosica is himself a bit of a controversial figure because he said some extreme things sometimes about Pope Francis. Mm. Um, he's a big Francis fan and good on him for that, right? It's But I think, you know, some people sure, have been yeah. talking about how was this timed because he was working around the Rome sex abuse thing. Uh, the website that published the story has never been exactly known for its uh, journalistic integrity itself. Yeah. Um, but they've kind of been at each other's throats for years too, though. So it's, I don't know. It's a complicated, messy situation. Hopefully he'll learn from this big time and he's Mm -hmm. going to have to, uh, he will no longer be plagiarizing at all. And will be, uh, can you, can you, can anyone ever hire him or I don't think him to write again? You can't, I don't think so. Hey, you can go, you can be a priest and be a good priest and do good priest stuff, but you're done writing stuff. I think I think his speaking engagements are going to significantly decrease. I think his he won't be writing uh, to the same extent he won't, will be anymore. And I wouldn't be surprised if he, even though he's the CEO of Salt and Light Television, I wouldn't be surprised if he has to take if he has to be a bit more invisible with all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, you chose this one, but I'm going to read it anyways. Yeah. 
from my good friend at Shannon Last. At oh, Shannon right. underscore last, yes. You guys, I cooked, which I hate, and he put powdered cheese on it. Okay, so I found this very funny because <laughs> this, this gentleman, uh, JV Last, has found that you can buy powdered cheese at Costco. In like massive, like 10 liter so, tubs. So not like, not like grated cheese, not like that, but like the, Kraft the Dinner, cheese. Kraft, Kraft Dinner yeah, grated like, cheese or powdered cheese. Right, or like the cheese you would find like on your flavor blasted goldfish, like the right. the, the powder. You can actually buy big tubs of it, yep. which is the most beautiful, and in my opinion, American thing you can possibly possibly right. buy. Right. And, but I don't understand how you can consume, like a tub of powdered cheese, or actually use this, without feeling immense, intense, and overwhelming shame. Right. Okay. So there's just that, just the the eating of that. I. Like, I would do it, but I would never tell anyone about it. You see, the thing is with JVL, he's a man with no shame. Right, but there should be shame, Father Harrison. Shame's a good thing, <laughs> right? Shame points to, like, like something is wrong. Something is wrong. You're, you, have, you have a wound? Here's you, my thing. You have thing. a sickness? Okay, and then, so you have that by itself, and then you then your wife cooks you something, and then you put cheese powder on it. It's like, what are you doing? It was chilly. I, the... I found it so funny. I just really <laughs> enjoyed, it, like, yes. that idea. yes. He, yeah. Shannon does not like cooking. It's true. And so he, yeah, he just threw all this powdered cheese on his chili. Now, here's the weird thing that I find. Because okay. he's on the keto diet right now. What is that? I have no idea. But I hear the word diet. And I think, how does, how do, how does uh, cheese powder and diet go together? I don't think eating powdered cheese sends you to hell. But I do think it definitely adds up time in purgatory. <laughs> That's more of a theological intuition than it is uh, an intellectual statement. But something in my right. heart just feels that to be true. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, it was it was funny, and she was disgusted about all of this, obviously. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was. If you're if you're eating powdered cheese, you should go meet with your priest. Yeah, I think there's th- something to talk about. There's something about your spiritual it, life that's mm, off. Exactly, it may not Just be a general. mortal sin, but it might be a sign of a deep, inherent, uh, sinful tendency that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. If you eat powdered cheese, you should <laughs> probably also go around in sackcloth and ashes for the rest of Lent. No, instead of eating the cheese, you should make it your ashes. Oh, there you go. Sprinkle <laughs> it on top of your head. <laughs> no, 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 don't sprinkle it. Do it the American style and put that big old cross right on the forehead of your cheese. <laughs> Repent. <laughs> <laughs> Repent in cheese and ashes. That's what you there need to you do. There you go. That's well, actually a good idea sack for Sackcloth and cheese. Sackcloth and cheese. <laughs> sackcloth and cheese. Okay. Uh, all right. Thanks, let's Shannon. go to the next. Uh, let's see. One more for me. This is from at Ignatius under H2. This is a big I one. I don't know if that's how you pronounce that, but this is from Mecca. And he told this little story on the Twitter. Weird thing happened in confession. At absolution, the priest said, I forgive you of your sins. And I said, can you say I absolve you? And he said, you're not one of those, are you? And I said, I am. And he said, I absolve you of all your sins if that makes you feel better. I have thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Because first of all, this priest is a jerk. Yep. Now I'm censoring that language for our family-friendly audience. Yeah. But like, what a complete and utter jerk. Let's forget, let's forget the theological problems here and just like the pastoral for a moment. I absolve you of your sins if that makes you feel better. Like, you're, the penitent is in there being as vulnerable to you spiritually as he possibly can be, and you're going to let your own theological hang-ups supersede like loving pastoral care to this person, when it's yeah. really easy for you to just to change your language a little bit. Even if you don't think it's really, even if you have like a terrible theological training, which apparently this guy does, like why would you, you're saying that just to make the penitent feel bad. Yeah. Not to bring them to conversion or anything like that, just because you're a jerk. And not to matter that of all the parts of the prayer of absolution, the essential words are, I absolve you. <laughs> yeah. Like that is, 
Now, hopefully, I don't play around with anything else, but that is the absolute essence, right? You need right. to hear the three words, I absolve you, because it's not, and it's not about you, the priest, because the I is not your I. It's Jesus' I, right? right. It's, it's, it, it's, it's Jesus speaking those words through the priest. The priest is using those words on behalf of the church, but it's Jesus who's using those words to forgive us our sins. Okay. We are not people who we don't... We, ah, ah, ah. Okay, so let's, let's, let's break it down a little bit. Because he's, he's switching out the words forgive and absolve. Yes. So I get in his brain, this priest's brain, and then this being maybe a little judgmental, but I'm trying to parse this out a little bit. Uh, okay. Absolve and forgive are basically the same word. Right. I'll just say that. But the thing is, the church gives each, like, the formula for each language. Yep. And that's what you say. Yep. And the, the just mess, I don't, I don't understand. I'll be, I'll be truly honest. This isn't me, like, ragging on anyone else. I don't understand the mindset of changing those formulaic words for the sacraments. Like, I don't get the desire to do that it's like pr- changing the words of consecration right why well i just there are, you can have all sorts of theological opinions right but the bare minimum of your priesthood is required to say this is my body this is my blood uh this is i absolve you of your sins mm-hmm. if you have to do a confirmation once in a while receive the holy spirit and through this holy anointing, may the Lord in his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord who frees you from sin save you and raise you up. Yeah, and I get accidentally flubbing those words. Right. I understand that, but purposefully changing them and then yeah. getting annoyed when someone says, can you please just do the thing that every other priest does? Yeah, exactly. It's, it, and it's also your, yeah. It, and the person who's going to confession, you're making them nervous because suddenly they're not sure if they've actually been absolved. Right. And, it's necessary form for the sacrament of confession that you say the words, I absolve you. If you do not use those words, confession hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. The grace of the sacrament hasn't been affected. And you are putting not that person's soul, mm-hmm. but your own soul in danger. Because oh, of absolutely. It, as a priest. Just, yeah. We're, like, what, I just, uh, why, why? Do priests just think that they can do whatever they want whenever they want? Why have priests just kind of this made is, themselves their own little This is the real clericalism posts? right here. It's, it's, um, you it's know, stupid. I really. <laughs> it's stupid. I'm yeah, sorry. You know, I was ragging on, there's a bunch of um, accounts on Facebook and Twitter making these parodies of priests like this and people who have theological yeah. opinions like this. And I don't care for those accounts. Neither do I. But I get why they're doing it. They're doing it because this stuff ticks people off, and yeah. justly so. I have parishioners who have I've you know I've been working on it and stuff like that. But I've had some people come up to me and say, "Well, why don't you just do general absolution anymore?" Mm-hmm. You know, twenty years ago, the priest who was here did this. Why don't you just right. do that? I'm like, because this isn't an emergency, and that only works for emergencies. And the normal way of doing it is you go to a priest individually and confess your sins. But I, you know, then it, cause what it does too, is then it sets up the guy who actually wants to follow what the church asks of us as to be the bad guy. Right. Yep. Um, oh man, I was going to say something else about, oh, so here's, I mean, I think this is a thing that can happen. If you're a priest and you're doing these sacraments over and over and over and over again. Yep. If you don't have like a really strong prayer life to sustain you in that they become they can become very mechanical for you mm-hmm. and they can lose your experience them can become this kind of arbitrary thing that you do yeah and i think over time you kind of lose faith in the sacraments and they become something not objectively that god does but subjectively that the people of god experience right and i think that's the problem yeah that priests forget like no 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 and that's sad cuz like for me yeah confession is this has actually been one of the hardest things for me coming to a newer parish where it's smaller, mm-hmm. moving from the cathedral where you hear confessions every day and it's awesome, right? right? And you're hearing everything. Um, coming to a smaller parish where you're lucky if you get three or four confessions on a Saturday afternoon or on a Sunday morning. Um, because for me, hearing confessions is one of the most intimate forms of prayer I know. Mm-hmm. And to not have that all the time is just, it, it's tough actually. Um, but it, it's like 
for me, it's sad that maybe does a priest not experience confession this way? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to do a podcast On confession. Soon. Yeah, on confession. Not on confession. I, actually, I want to do one on the woundedness of priests. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, it's something I've been thinking about a lot, um, mm-hmm. but we'll maybe in two weeks, I think. We'll okay, that. sure. Okay. All right. So time for Patreon pontifications. Patreon pontifications. You support us. We read your tweets. Oh, I got to say my script. <laughs> I'm, I'm so used stop, to you doing stop it. Stop dancing, Father Harrison, to the music you can't hear right now because Nick edits it in later. And go ahead and do the script. <laughs> Please consider donating to our Patreon. Money goes to paying... Money goes to paying... Sorry, Anthony. Father Anthony, stop editing. <laughs> it's It's... All right, let me try this again. All right, please consider donating to our Patreon. Money goes to paying for our equipment and podcast hosting fees, as well as paying producer Nick a just ways for all the work he does. Any money collected that he that goes beyond that will be donated to the missionaries of charity. If you are part of our $5 pastoral council tier or $10 church lady tier, you have a chance at having your, your chosen tweet talked about on the pad, podcast. This week's tweet comes from... One second... Mm-hmm. You know, dead air is such a great thing for a podcast. We don't have dead air because we pay Nick to get rid of dead air. He never does, though. Like, when I went to the yes, bathroom last does. week. Like, well, Major's dead air. I-, I went to the bathroom last week, and you guys, you just kind of kept it going. <laughs> yeah, but that was really funny. <laughs> it kind of was. I was like, I wasn't, I was like, what's going on? What? 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 <laughs> uh, this week's Patreon pontification comes from Matthew McLean. This is very meta. So Matthew okay. McLean at Catholic Okie picks a tweet from Jerry M- McClellan, which mm-hmm. is a quote from Pope Benedict the 16th. Oh, wow. Do you follow that tree of stuff? So this is yeah. a quote from Mary. And uh, I think you'll like this. If Mary no longer finds a place in many theologies and ecclesiologies, the reason is obvious. They have reduced the faith to an abstraction. An abstraction does not need a mother. Boom. Boom. Love it. Uh, yeah, sorry. You go ahead first. Well, I was going to say, I think a lot of people uh, have been the desired reaction uh, or what they think the church needs is more masculinity mm-hmm. and, and a caricature of masculinity because the right. church always should – I mean, there needs to be a masculine side to it, absolutely. Yeah. But they, they are thinking about this caricature of masculinity. Mm-hmm. And what the church, I think, deeply spiritually needs is the Marian aspect. Absolutely. That's what we've been missing. Mm-hmm. Well, and and this is Benedict's big point with his Mariology. Mm-hmm. You can't have the church without Mary, right? Right. It's, uh, I forget which church father. He who has, does not have God as his father cannot have, the, or he who does not have the church as his mother cannot have God as father or something like that, right? Right. Um, this motherly image of the church has been there since the beginning. It kind of lost its way in the 16th century. Mary got detached from the church and devotion to her got a little abstract. But like the Second Vatican Council Put, put where they put the document of Mary in, it's in Lumen Gentium on the document mm-hmm. of the church right and what, what Benedict's trying to get at is that Christianity is by its nature not an abstraction but a very concrete form mm-hmm. and so everything's got a concrete manifestation and a concrete personage and for the church that's always going to be Mary and so if you want to know what the church is you have to look to the person of Mary right and the idea that we need a more <laughs> Marian understanding of the church because if you have too much of a, of a masculine understanding the church becomes a project yeah the church becomes something that we do yeah and you can see the ill effects of that because you've got people in the hierarchy who are worried about the structure and the institution and how do we fix this and how do we do this and how do we push this priest to the side or what else do we do but the Marian aspect listens to God mm-hmm. and keeps what God says in in your heart and then works out of that. Yeah. And I think what you see a lot in the church is this not listening to God. Yeah. Only looking at the functional aspects of the church. So it's the Marian aspect that reminds us, actually brings a, a healthy fear of God into members of the church. I might have to do a podcast on Ratzinger's Mariology in two weeks. I'm for it. Because I did a talk on this for the sisters. 
Ooh. So it's already it's all ready to go. It's already uh, there. Just it's plug already it there. In. Just gotta plug That's it in. Content. Yeah. Exactly. So because this is a this is a huge thing, and uh, and where I get really frustrated, we'll talk about it maybe in the next Suma next week, mm-hmm. is where people start to say like you're talking about this. Oh, we need more masculine language. Blah blah blah. I'm like, you guys aren't professional theologians who you know read the documents of the church that tell us that actually the primary image of the church is always Marian. Yeah, I think people need to understand there's no gender there's no gender war in the church. Exactly. Exactly. Like the, the church is very comfortable with the masculine and the feminine. It's us in the world who have gotten it so screwed up and have built them into caricatures and have and then speak out of that like we're experts in this when we're really right. not. Yeah. Um so there's just way there's a lot of baggage in that language now yeah. that the church in her theology doesn't have. So yeah. Well, we're talking about the feminine aspect of the church, mm-hmm. but let's get all masculine anyways and go into presbyteral <laughs> exhortations. <laughs> and now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn oh, so much. Oh, it's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the oh, best part. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Quite. quite yes. All right. I, 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 I'm I, not as prepped on this one, I'll be honest, but it's okay. a topic. Wait, wait, quick. Wait. Before we go, quick fun fact. Yes. Um, Matthias Joseph Shaven yes. sees the priest's work or the, the Mary, uh, the, the, feminine aspect of the church of bearing children is worked out by priests interesting right very he, cool. he, it's very interesting and like i said he's writing uh around after vatican one yeah. and there's not all these issues about masculinity and femininity that we have now no so he has no problem just saying oh this is a feminine thing yeah but only priests can do it right. he's not saying priests are feminine it's just the activity of the church so there's a fun fact for you very cool okay all right, all right. so i am I'm not as prepared on this one as I'd like to be, but I think I can talk about it no problem anyways. I want to talk about technology. What thoughts do you have on technology, Father Anthony? Uh, I'm for it. You're for it. Okay, why? Because without it, I would not be podcasting right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also like Minecraft, and that's a technology. Okay. <laughs> also... Um, I live on the third floor of a building, all of which requires a lot of technology to happen. Right. Okay. So I think uh, there's an understanding of technology where God's injunction to um, till the earth, yeah, like even that implies a technology. Right. So it's kind of a technology in a lot of ways is human beings participating in creation. Okay. And good. working as sub-creators. Very good. And now, I think what, that was all really good for just off the top of my head. That's pretty good. Now, what about, have you experienced any negative effects? Especially, I want to talk about, like, through digital technology. Right, right, right. So, yeah, yeah, So, like, there is also an aspect of technology when used incorrectly. And some, I think, some actual technologies just by themselves, instead of being human projects or helping human beings be more human actually take away our humanity make mm-hmm. us less human and move us away from god right right yep absolutely so i want to talk a little bit today because i i uh i had an experience two weeks ago i was finding myself my brain was incredibly scattered mm-hmm. i found my memory really uh not sharp at all mm-hmm. Uh, I've been getting good sleep and everything, so I didn't think that was the issue. I found it incredibly difficult to pay attention to anything. And I saw my weekly report of screen time on my phone. What did it say? Too much. (laughs) (laughs) Too much. Way too much. And I just came to this realization that my phone was not just distracting me from the tasks that I needed to do, that it was destroying a little bit of my own humanity. Mm-hmm. It was also feeding my acedia, Ooh, right? Because yes. acedia is the inability to desire the good, and the phone is a great distraction in those moments, right? Because for me, the, the word distraction, I've always liked to think of it as, like, as a disattraction to, to, ah. to form us away from the thing that ought to attract us, which is the good. So um, the phone was doing that to me. 
So I did something pretty radical. I've tweeted about this. I deleted, Ironically. I deleted almost all my apps. I kept my banking app because I actually do use that for good on a regular basis. And it's not like and I'm... really, how I'm distracting not, is a exactly. banking app? <laughs> Ooh. Let's look at my checking account to make sure everything's still in place, right? Uh, <laughs> right. So I kept my banking app. I kept Google Maps for now, but I might get rid of that still. How will you find places? The old-fashioned way with directions. What? I would literally be... I would never get anywhere. I haven't decided yet. I haven't decided. Because I mean, I if think you can do it, go for you. I never know where I am. I have a vague idea of where I'm going. Where are you right now? the Google rules my life. Right. I'm but, on the internet right now. You see, but for years, I was a, we were all able to drive around without Google Maps. Uh, I printed out directions, I guess. Right. And there's something about... I remember many times in high school driving to either a party or whatever... And it was like at night, and I've got this piece of paper, and I've got the light on in my car because I didn't have like GPS on my phone. I feel like that's more dangerous or just as dangerous as looking at my phone. No, that's fair. I, I haven't, like I said, I haven't come to a firm conclusion about that, but mm. it's some, I kept it for now. I kept podcasts and audiobooks mm-hmm. because I'm not really looking at a screen when those are on. Right. I have, uh, and I text messaging, FaceTime. I disabled my web browser. On my phone, mm-hmm. I and I kept some apps that you know I I don't really need to use them too often, but they're made like if I'm traveling, I need to use Uber. That's fine. Sure, sure, yeah. But generally, almost everything's gone. Safari. So basically, has, like definitely all of your entertainment, anything that is possibly entertaining. Yeah. In Twitter a is capacity. off the phone. Mm-hmm. I had notifications turned off for a while. Yeah. But now Twitter is just off because that was one of my major distractions on my phone. So that now that wasn't all I did. I grayscaled my phone. Grayscaled your phone? It makes everything grays and blacks and whites. Mm-hmm. There's no color. Bleh. Exactly. That's the point of doing that. You're, you're, it doesn't hit the neurons in your brain as much to uh, want to uh, look at the phone. Look at the pretty colors. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I grayscaled the phone, and I also put like a little time limit thing because there is the odd time where maybe I'm out somewhere and I really need to find something. I can re-enable my browser or something like that, yeah. but it's asking. It'll say uh, you have you've exceeded your limit today, which is because I keep the limit on for all day. Mm-hmm. Do you want to just keep to the limit, or do you want to ignore it for 15 minutes? And I'm like, oh, okay. I'll put it on for 15 minutes because I need, I really do need to do this right now or something like that. Right. Ask me how off how much screen time I've used on average in the last week and a half. Father Harrison, how much screen time have you used in the last week and a half? 15 minutes a day. What? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's, what's, I'm what's, tempted. Let's see. I'm gonna look up my screen time on my please phone. Please do. Please do. This is this is this is an act of humility right here. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see. Settings, screen time, iPhone, last seven days. You ready for this? Yep. This is a lot of truth. <clears throat> Eight hours per day. Per day. Yeah, that's roughly where mine now, was. Now, part of this that may was probably be... where mine was. Okay, okay. This actually, I don't feel quite so bad. So, so I have my phone turned to the screen always being on. Right. So um, there are a few apps that just run with the screen on. So let's get a little bit more realistic. Um, I mean, still a lot. Still yeah. like four hours yeah. a day if with Twitter and YouTube and... Yeah. Yeah. So still an insane amount compared to 15 minutes. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about this because this has been a really eye-opening experience for me. Not only has... My, so, for example, when I wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. <laughs> Father Anthony's making all sorts of faces. I'm having an, exist- an existential crisis right now. You can keep talking. All Just right. ignore me as I reevaluate <laughs> my entire life. Okay. Uh, so, for example, when I wake up in the morning, uh, I, there's nothing to look at on my phone. Nothing at all. There's nothing there except maybe missed phone calls or something. And there's nothing to distract me in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, even though I feel maybe really tired when I wake up, well... I'm not going to stay there. I'll get bored. So I'm going to get up and make a cup of coffee. And then I go pray because I'm up earlier. 
-hmm. my prairie life has gotten significantly better in a week and a half actually we're getting close to two weeks now since i've started doing this Mm -hmm. reading my reading has gone up off the charts and all this my desire to look at screens has gone down big time i don't feel the need to have the tv on as much or to even be in front of my computer my computer time has gone up but i'm trying to get that working out because i use that for twitter now and Sure, and it doesn't. I don't know. For some reason, the computer screen doesn't have the same addictive quality as the phone screen. Well, because there's like the ready at handness of the phone. Exactly. When I'm at the in the and the lineup in the grocery store, right? It helps me deal with the mundaneness of the situation, Hmm. and that's actually a really good thing. Because when we hit, we are hit with mundane things. We want to run away from them, and the phone makes it very easy to do this. The problem is, it develops habits for us so that when we actually have mundane tasks, but we actually have to do them, like paperwork, right? Just an example. We're trained. We've trained ourselves to not deal with it and to push mm-hmm. it to the side. By doing this, it's helped me focus on my tasks more. It's helped me want to get my life in order a lot more. It's helped me want to pray more. Uh, it, I just have a lot more free time. <laughs> Because yeah. I didn't realize, yeah, five minutes here, five minutes there, but you're doing that 20 times during the day. Yeah. And before you know it, you've used your phone for hours. And it's not just like checking your phone. It's thinking about checking your phone. Right. You check your phone and then thinking about what like tweet or whatever else happened. Like it yeah. distracts your brain for longer than when you just exactly. look at it too. And I, I definitely feel a lot of FOMO, you know, fear of missing out sometimes. Mm-hmm. Since deleting all these things from my phone, I've just had to come to accept that, yeah, I'm going to miss out on things on Twitter. Yes, I am going to miss out on things in my DMs. Yes, I can't answer back to everything. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And it's freeing. It's so flipping freeing. So it's got me to ponder the reality and purpose of technology. Have you ever heard of the writer Neil Postman? Uh, practically speaking, no. Practically you like just... that name sounds familiar. Okay. But what does that add to the conversation when I say, yeah, I've heard that name before. I could be lying to save face. Even if it's true, doesn't matter. That's true. That's It's fair. just a wasting time. Okay. That's so fair. practically speaking, no. <laughs> just like you just did. You just wasted know, 30 seconds of everyone's life with that weird <laughs> explanation. So Neil Postman wrote this book in 1992 called Technopoly. And techno- That's a fun word, by it the way. Is a fun I word. enjoy that word. And I was trying to look for my copy today just to kind of go over it quickly. I couldn't find it. I might have to buy a new copy. Mm. But um, so I'm kind of going off the Wikipedia summary. But I'm not plagiarizing because I've I have formally said I'm citing Wikipedia here. Beautiful. Uh, Wikipedia is good for a quick uh, thing. But the whole point of the book Technopoly is he says that tech, like the whole book he argues that technology is not a bad thing, right? We use technology. What kind of what kind of normal human te- like? Let's let's put aside digital technology for a second. Right. What other areas of life do we use technology in? I mean, uh, the one bit of technology I'm super grateful for is the little space heater in my parish office. Yeah. Delightful. Architecture to build stairs so you can get yep. up to the third floor. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, Cars, highways. Writing utensils so that we can. Mm. write things down etc paper there is a lot of technologies and technology is not a bad thing he says technology is there but it's always meant to be used and and for the most of history technology technology was used there he said he actually talks about three attitudes towards technology mm-hmm. he call, calls he talks about tool using cultures technocracies and then technopolies Ooh. So I'll go, I want to break those down a little bit because I think he makes a very valid point about uh, technology. So I'm, I'm just going to quote these uh, quotes from the Wikipedia page because they summarize things quite well. So the tool using culture. According to Postman, a tool using culture employs technologies only to solve physical problems such as spears, cooking utensils, water mills, and to serve the symbolic world of religion, art, politics, and tradition as tools used to construct cathedrals do. Oh, that's interesting that he added that. Yeah. He claims that all such cultures are either theocratic, so like God-centered, or Mm -hmm. unified by some metaphysical theory, which forced tools to operate within the bounds of a controlling ideology and made it almost impossible for technics to subordinate people to its own needs. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so 
Well, it'd be interesting to see where what, what the next uh, section is. Um, but it sounds like the theology, the spirituality, yeah, uh, the cult, the religion of the society, kind of keeps technology as tools. Yes, it, it puts a limits on it, right? There, right. there's a limit, and I think one of the interesting things that he doesn't mention, but I, I kind of have extrapolated is. Uh, in modernity slash post-modernity, this impulse to always have new things is part of the, is I think a, a symbol of the fact that we actually don't have a unified world vision. And I think that's actually problematic and that technology must always be tempered by a unified world vision. Mm -hmm. Otherwise that, it goes unfettered. Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise you get dinosaurs. What? Oh, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park, sorry. <laughs> Your scientists are so preoccupied with whether they could and never ask whether they should. Should, yes, exactly. Exactly, right? And, and so he's talking, but this is the interesting thing, right? Everything's yeah. used in service of. But he makes this other interesting point um, when he's talking about tool using cultures that is, that I think is a, also a good guiding principle. Okay. He says, with every technology, when you gain something, you also lose something. Go on. When writing was invented in Greece and so on and so forth, one of the big moral quandaries they had was if we write things down, we won't remember things anymore. And that's absolutely true. And that's true, right? The question was, there's like a bit of a cost-benefit analysis here. Mm -hmm. By writing things down, we're not, the oral culture which supports memory is going to be destroyed and disintegrate. And then something new is going to pop out of this. And it, it, there were people who were flat out against writing in ancient Greece because of this. That's amazing. I know it seems like odd to us, but it actually makes a lot of sense. And yeah. there is actually a lot of truth to what we've lost because of writing. Now, Postman's a very interesting figure. He was a bit of a Luddite. And I've always had Postman sympathies. Uh, and I've always found his writing attractive and I found his points attractive. He never, he died in the 90s just as the mm -hmm. television and the computer was just starting to come forward. Um, so he, I mean, I, it'd be very interesting to see, see what he'd have to say about the internet today. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he never used a typewriter. He always wrote everything out by pen. Wow. He When he went to buy a car, he refused to have electronic windows. <laughs> because he felt that he was... Um, supporting a more technocratic and technopolic culture mm -hmm. so um very interesting figure i find you may not agree with the book but technopolis technopolis are very interesting read to help you have a moral reflection on your use of technology so all sure, right yeah. tool using culture next one technocracy in a technocracy rather than existing in harmony with a theocratic worldview tools are central to the thought world of the culture postman claims that tools attack culture and bid to become culture by subordinating existing traditions, politics, and religions. Postman cites the example of the telescope, destroying the Judeo-Christian idea that the Earth is the center of the solar system, bringing about a collapse of the moral central, central, center gravity in the West. And that's a very valid point. Like, it's true. It was a shock to our system because tools now suddenly were something to subvert a metaphysical worldview. Right? Sure. It's not, and it's not, he's not saying this is a bad discovery, but he's just saying this is an effect. And this is why it was such a controversy in the 16th, 17th century. Not, it wasn't because we were anti-science. It was because it was, it was a, it was an inversion of everything that society and culture had been built upon. Mm. So Postman characterizes a technocracy as compelled by the impulse to invent an ideology first advocated by Francis Bacon in the early 17th century. He believed that human beings could acquire knowledge about the natural world and use it to improve the lot of mankind, which led to the idea of invention for its own sake and the idea of progress. According to Postman, this thinking became widespread in Europe in the late 18th century. But, he says, a technocratic society remains loosely controlled by social and religious traditions. For instance, the United States remained bound to the notions of holy men and sin, grandmothers and families, regional loyalties, and uh, life, liberty, the pursuit of, ha uh, pursuit of happiness. Those are all like religious traditions. They came out of religious ideals. So you have this like, you have this impulse to technology taking over and subverting tradition, but tradition still trying to hold its, its head. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
but Technopoly is where things takes a real uh, a leap. So according to this article, he, Postman defines Technopoly as a totalitarian technocracy, which demands the submission of all forms of cultural life to the sovereignty of technique and technology. It's self-determinative, independently of human action, and undirected in its growth. Technology in a time of technopoly actively eliminates all other thought worlds. Thus, it reduces human life to finding meaning in machines and technique. This is exemplified for Postman in By the Computer, the quintessential, incomparable, near-perfect technology for a technopoly. It establishes sovereignty over all areas of human life and experience based on the claim that it thinks better than we can. And he says... So just quickly, I'll just one more thing for this article and we can kind of talk about this. Yeah. So Postman refers uh, to a kind of knowledge monopoly as a consequence of technopoly. New technologies transform those who can create and use them into elite groups. A knowledge monopoly, which is granted undeserved authority and prestige by those who have no such competence. Subsequently, those outside of this monopoly are led to believe in the false wisdom offered by the new technology, which has little relevance to the average person. Telegraphy and photography, he states, redefined information from something that sought out to solve particular problems to a commodity that is potentially irrelevant irre to the receiver. Thus, in Technopoly, information appears indiscriminately, directed at no one in particular, in enormous volumes at high speeds, and disconnected from theory, meaning, or purpose. And he goes on and on and on. He also mm -hmm. says, finally, Technopoly trivializes significant cultural and religious symbols through their endless reproduction. So, what do you think? Yeah. What are your thoughts on, on these on his okay, so uh, one thought is this uh, system in this worldview he's talking about is making, I think, important and good points, but it's a little bit like a Marxist trying to make everything about material or about okay. uh, economics, okay. right? Yeah. So it's like it works until you really look at it, and there's other factors that move societies and cultures and humanity okay so or maybe i don't know if he is or is doing that but it seems like okay yeah these are things that happen with technology and cultures but maybe there's an overemphasis i think he's making technology the problem when i think it's more of a symptom go on also so there's so there's that um and then also Using technology as a tool, okay, good. Um, but part of my brain is like, okay, he's talking about spears and this and religion. Like, do you get, do you get like a polio vaccine if you keep like how, where? Right. You know, um, so the advancement of technology is a good thing. Um, can you get advanced technology like a computer? Which but I think computers are good things. He's not against new technologies, right? He just says right. you ha there has to be a cost-benefit analysis in how we we determine technology. And he ta he talks about those things around medicine and stuff too. His mm -hmm. problem is is that we do it without thinking what are the consequences, like right. the smartphone. Let's make the smartphone. Why? Because we can. Right. That's but a techno that attitude... that's a that's a technocratic technology. Uh, technopoly that's that that is the idea that says the phone is worth making it this way just because we can okay without so wondering about me, the moral consequences right, of it but are. tell me if this is an important distinction or not it, it, i don't think it's so much of a techno what, what's the word you use technopoly or technocracy yeah it's not so much of that as it is or like this positive thing that makes society like this i see it more as a loss of the religious does that make sense is that is that even a useful critique i think he would actually say that has happened because okay. of the technocratic change right and i don't think that's how that works i don't i don't think they're mutually exclusive i think they kind of go hand in hand i think one influences both they both influence each other right mm -hmm. like the idea about how the telescope subverted um subverted the worldview of of um 
Ugh, sorry, how how the telescope subverted the whole Christian metaphysical and and universe uh, cosmological view. It really did right, that, but right? If you okay, and that that's destabilized religion. But religion was already being destabilized. I agree, but it was a it was an added effect to this, right? And sure. so he's saying that he's not saying that the discovery is a bad thing. Okay, it but was, even like so, Gal. Let's get like more specific with, okay. with Galileo, right. who begins to make theological claims based on his scientific discoveries. Mm -hmm. That's because of the um, religious breakdown in the culture. If that's if that's not there, then you don't have this breakdown of the theological worldview, you realize that you have to refine it, which is what we eventually do right. with an understanding of scripture and the cosmos and all that stuff. So I think, yeah, okay, yeah, they work. There's definitely a, a work and a play between the two. Yeah. I still see um, the Protestant Reformation is why everything went wrong, not the fact that we have computers. I think that's too simplistic of you. Uh, I mean, it's a exaggerated simplistic example, but I still think the spiritual problems right but are what moves how we've, culture and right. technology exactly. not the other way around no how we view culture and technology can affect our spiritual worldview okay yeah yeah that's fair right and that, that's what i think he's saying i don't think he would deny the other elements that were going on in europe in the 16th century mm. as as causes to the new worldview we 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 just we come out of with the enlightenment he's a very strong critic of the enlightenment he really does not like the enlightenment it's funny he was kind of an agnostic jew okay never really a religious person per se but he had a strong respect for the judeo-christian worldview mm -hmm. regardless um what he's trying to say though is that technology is a major player in culture and what has happened or the direction that we were going when he was writing this in the 80s is that we have subverted the relationship between technology and culture and that's always dangerous that for the first 3000 years of human civilization technology was always seen in service of culture as some as a tool to be used for the sake uh, of human flourishing and and human ease and advancement and representing and being at service of the symbolic worldview we lived in you know it's interesting right? but now but now just yeah. i'll just finish this up here but now mm -hmm. what's happened is we've subverted all that now technology is is the means of identity and self-expression and um and um it is the symbolic worldview now it's taken over the symbol it is trying mm -hmm. and what's happening is it's it's in a way trying to establish not like there's not like some secret plot of people like of apple and, and sony and all these guys saying hey we need to develop our own symbolic worldview but rather unless there is unless there is masons <laughs> um but what's happened but it's just like the kind of the logic of the human spirit is that now technology is de facto becoming the metaphysical worldview out of which we act and he's saying that's inherently inhuman because what happens when that ha when that happens humanity is now is seen in a uh, as subject to technology mm -hmm. and he says that's a problem and that interestingly enough that's something pope benedict talks a lot about in cultures in the time of upheaval in one of his books on catholic social teaching and um in a few other areas where he's talking about moral reflection with regards to bioethics yeah no, I think it's overall, I think it's a good and important critique or like even something simple like, for example, if you were to ask somebody, what's a heart? Yeah. Their most likely answer would be, oh, it's a, it's a pump. Mm -hmm. Like even on that level, we think about the human person in terms of technology that we can change right. and move. And so, or you think about like, um, a cathed cathedrals are made, mm -hmm. big churches are made because of what goes on inside them. Right. So it's the cult that makes the culture. Right. So you've got like, okay, um, a lot of people want to go to mass. You need a large space with good acoustics. You develop that technology to serve it. Right. And then now you've got, if you look at like the mega church where the technology becomes more the focus. Exactly. It's the electric guitar and right. the big screens and the lights and the cushy seats yeah. that become more of the focus. Exactly. This is why I refuse to have a projector in my church. Good for you. I refuse it. No television screens, no projectors. Mm -hmm. I don't care. He would be against even having microphones in church. Postman right. would be. 
And well, if you build them like you used to, you don't need microphones. It's true. It's and true. if we spoke in Latin, you wouldn't. It wouldn't matter what kind of words were you could hear anyway. Exactly. And the churches and yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the point of all this, through my experience, through a, a kind of brief presentation of Postman, is just to present the idea that maybe we ought to be a bit more critical towards the techno. The, the technological worldview we, we're inhabiting. Like I said, I personally have a bit of a tendency towards the postman position. Like when I write homilies, I often write them by hand. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to discover that articles I'm writing for different uh, websites and stuff, I need to write them by hand first before I type them. And Am I more postman than you because I don't write out my homilies at all? You're more oral, so maybe. Maybe. Or maybe you're just lazy and don't prep it. I'm just saying. Or maybe you're just lazy and don't prep. Ooh, maybe that. Who knows? <laughs> the people don't. They don't know, and they'll never know. Right. But, you know, I just think we it's meant to present that maybe in your spiritual life, if you're finding it hard to focus in prayer, if you're finding it hard to find God, you actually may be inhabiting too much of a technological worldview and to become more discerning and critical about the type of technology you use. Like, I freak out more and more as I see kids two, three, four years old just hovered around computers phone screens and computer screens and tv screens all the time it's not a bad thing per se but it has an effect on it has an effect on the brain like they're doing more psychological testing on the effects of digital media on the brain we need to be discerning and careful about what we use and not subverting ourselves to a tech not allowing ourselves to become submissive to technology itself because that's what's happening when we were taking our phone for eight hours a day it was because we were the phone controlled us Mm -hmm. that's bad Mm mm-hmm and that requires some real moral discernment. Yep. Any last thoughts? Uh, I'm going to have to do the stuff to my phone that you did. <laughs> it's a trend. I'm starting a trend. I want this to be a, a huge thing. Yeah. Uh, yep, yep, yep. I think, I think that's what has to happen. All right. Cool. cool. So, uh, unfortunately, we can't have Tommy on the show today, uh, but... Uh, you know, he's also become more of a Luddite, I guess. And yep. he's decided to not use his technology this week. So, sorry, Tommy. We'll try and have you on next week. Um, you can f- please leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies, too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me at Fr Harrison. You can find me at Father Sharapa. You can t- contact the podcast and receive updates with uh, at clericalpod on twitter or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com god bless peace all righty that was fun it was good 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 good